Thank you so much for listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I just want to start off by letting you know that we did finish recording these podcasts in February. So as you'll know, that's before we faced all the changes and adjustments that we're now making during the COVID-19 pandemic. So you'll notice we don't talk about it at all, and that's why. But if you're interested in hearing stories and conversations about life during the pandemic, Cole Primo and I are talking to folks in a spinoff podcast called Native Lights Bidapi. So check that out as well. With that said, please enjoy these awesome Native stories on Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Boujou, hello. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. How's it going, Cole? It's going pretty well. How about you? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's a nice, uh, warm weekend after bunch of cold i know sometimes it's a relief but i don't know i don't want to be tricked into thinking it's going to be warm for a long time especially when you drive back up to grand rapids that's right all right uh, so here in native lights as we dive deep into the gifts of the native community we get a chance to talk with the great people one-on-one for a length of time Mm -hmm. there's always more to a story and unless we've lived the same life we'll never know everything all the context all the motivation that moves someone to use and express their talents and gifts but what we try to do, right, Cole, yeah. is radio people and Native people. And I just want to add, it can be kind of stressful. <laughs> I have, you know, some restless nights worried about how I do it. But, you know, we just work our best to bring forth stories in an honest and effective way. Yeah, and to share with the public these stories that people very generously have talked with us about. And as we know, the history of this misinformation um, out there about Native communities is just very wide yeah. um, and entrenched almost. Uh, the way Indian country is covered has basically mostly been done through the eyes of dominant culture. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll talk a bit a bit more about that as we go through this episode. And in this episode, we're focusing on how people are using their gifts and their histories, um, culture and everything to actually help tell honest and accurate Native stories um, to a wider audience. Yeah, and so later in the show, we'll hear from Chad German, a fellow Mille Lacs Band member. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he owns the Red Circle ad agency in Minneapolis, and he serves a lot of Native casinos, and he's... He's a rising success in that world, and he's uh, helping these native-owned casinos get the most out of their marketing, their advertising budget, and he's also done notable ads that bring awareness to the "Not Your Mascot" movement. You may you may have seen his ads during uh, those times when that team from the Washington team from Washington comes to to town. Those Washington footballers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll hear more from him later. First, though, we head to the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux community. Our first guest is Rebecca Crook-Stratton. While we were getting ready for this season, season two of Native Lights, we heard about this Native-led statewide effort to change how people are talking about um, our history and our people in the K-12 schools. Yeah, it's called Understand Native Minnesota, and it's a this big push from the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux Community. Five million dollars over three years. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good chuck and change. That sounds like... Yeah, really generous. And, you know, it wants to help figure out 
kind of like the best ways to teach K through 12 students about um, the state and the native people in it. So this is Shakopee Mindwakanton Sioux Community Secretary Treasurer Rebecca Crook Stratton announcing the initiative at the Minnesota Indian Education Association conference in Hinkley last October. All of us educators and tribal leaders alike work every day to not only benefit native kids and native communities but also to change the perceptions non-natives have about who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. This effort to change other people's view is often called narrative change, and the daily work to which all of you have dedicated your professional lives is part of the larger movement throughout this country to change the narrative about us as Native Americans and to make that narrative accurate, up-to-date, and three-dimensional. So again, that was Rebecca Crookstratton and our producer, Lori Stern, who's in the studio with us. Hi, Hello. Lori. Hello. Yeah, you've spent some time with Rebecca recently to learn more about Understand Native Minnesota and also about Rebecca. And what a treat that was to spend time with her. But first, about Understand Native Minnesota. It's still early days, but it's super ambitious because Understand Native Minnesota wants to totally upend the way Native history and culture are presented in schools in Minnesota. Hmm. Very cool. But Understand Native Minnesota is also part of something bigger. It's built on something we all know about here, a report called Reclaiming Native Truth. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, we read, or some of us at least read the report before we started this podcast. Yeah. And it, it totally, um, you know, as somebody who came from mainstream media and who's not Native, it gave me a lot to think about in terms of how we center our stories and who gets to tell them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Exactly. And so kind of the basics of the report is that, I mean, we all, I mean, like we mentioned just, you know, a couple minutes ago. So the country has this kind of false narrative about Native people, right? And we'll talk a bit more about what exactly those narratives mm-hmm. are. And those narratives end up being perpetuated by media. You know, it's kind of those myths and misunderstandings that just, you know, get taken as truths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and But those are really hurtful because they result in oppressive and racist policies, um, problems in healthcare and erosion of sovereignty and all of these things that negatively impact Native communities. So when I was first trying to understand the scope of Understand Native Minnesota, Rebecca kept talking about Seeds of Native Health, what Seeds of Native Health did for nutrition. And she said that was the best way to understand what this project's trying to do. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, I know a bit about Seeds of Native Health. I did some, a little bit, tiny bit of work with them, I want to say, like um, with some interviews and stuff. And it, 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 yeah, it definitely seems to parallel um, what I'm getting from Understand Native Minnesota um, in that, like this self-determined looking at the indigenous ways of eating traditional foods, uh, indigenous foraging and all of that stuff um, to be able to take care of the health of our communities. Um, but also the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux community is helping uh, with that by being a funding source and a partner. And I think that's very similar to Understand Native Minnesota, 
in being a funding source and a partner. They don't want to necessarily like dictate what's being done. They want to like help support the work that's sure. happening. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. You got it. And just like that money helped seed seeds of Native health, mm-hmm. it's trying to do the same thing for K-12 education. Right. The way they're going about it is understand Native Minnesota wants to listen to a lot of people before it as an entity decides where and how to invest its money. This clip that I'm going to play for you now is from the Minnesota Indian Ed Conference again. It's Rebecca Crook-Stratton kicking off a listening session. In it, you'll hear her asking educators for their suggestions and stories about what they're seeing in their classrooms. As a tribal leader, we spend a lot of time educating folks about who we are and what we do and why we do it. And I just really, in my heart, feel like if we can get to the younger generation and make them understand tribal nations and what we do and who we are and how we interact and how the government-to-government relationship works, that the next generation of tribal leaders won't have to spend so much of their time educating folks about all those issues. So this campaign, well, we probably won't see you know, immediate effects It might be 10, 15, 20 years down the road. We're hoping to maybe just move the needle a little bit. But we can't move the needle a little bit without folks like you who are on the ground doing the work and really um, can give us the feedback that we need to spend this money, the $5 million we've committed to this campaign. So we weren't allowed to record the listening session itself, but I feel really lucky that Rebecca Cook-Stratton set aside a few hours to hang out with me. Um, You probably know this, but besides leading Understand Native Minnesota and being an executive of the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux Tribe, or what everyone there calls SMSC, she's a mom of three young kids, and they're all like, one's a little kid, one's a kind of a grade school kid, and one's a preteen, so Mm -hmm. she's got a lot going on (laughs) there. One of the one of the most fun and relaxed moments I got to spend with her was when we were picking her two younger kids up from school. So this is kind of the core hub of the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux community. And now it's all developed, but do you remember yes. before that? Oh yeah, I remember when I was little, there were no stoplights. It was still trailer homes. My parents were one of the first people out here to get financing to build build a home, a little split entry, uh, entry level home. That was pretty exciting. How old were you then? I was probably five. Oh. And what do you think when you see all this majesty? You know, it still is kind of mind blowing. It. It's all happened so fast. I mean, it's happened over, you know, 20-some years, 27 years, I think, uh, Mystic Lake has been here. But it seems like just the other day. And it's still hard to believe when you drive through that this this is our reservation, this is our home. It's changed quite a bit. Does it give you pride or regret or a little of both or... You know, I think it's more pride. I I think about what, you know, our grandparents would say if they could see it now. Um, All those long hours and hard work and red tape that they 
fought through, you know, to, to even get the bingo hall and then to open uh, Little Six Casino and then to, to see this and to see not only the facility, but the infrastructure that it supports and the services we're able to provide to our members. Because we really are a small city. We've got our own water treatment facility. We maintain all our own roadways, um, all of our buildings. Yeah, okay, so I just want to say I feel really stupid when I listen back to that tape about asking her whether she regretted all the development and progress that we were seeing. But, um, you know, I it was true. It, I asked it, and she answered it. <laughs> I mean, I think it was a legit question, you know? Well, sometimes, like, you know, it's hard to drive by a place where, you know, has changed so much. I know, like, you know, if a school has been torn down that you went to or something like that right you know i kind of understand the question i mean like we grew up in anoka right yeah and i remember it being you know just like hills and grass mostly but now there's so much more and kind of being like wow whatever happened to that you know just hill and dirt road mm. that was there and i mean we looked around we could see the shared ice rink that Prior Lake uses and, you know, the many-story buildings and the absolutely packed full parking lots. And, you know, like I'm seeing a lot of cement, but she's seeing generations of fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of cement, but what I find interesting about that whole area is that just driving in into the, the casino, like right next to it is like a bunch of farmland. So it's like... It's, there's still farmland, there's still the hills and all that stuff. But, you know, well, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, like the convention center and everything. And I saw a performance there, Emmylou Harris, like several years ago. Yeah. Their big auditorium. It's gorgeous. And we went to the journalism, native journalism conference, uh, media conference uh, at the Mystic Lake Center. And then the Emmys were held there. Yeah, it's, it's a regional Emmys. <laughs> Let's yeah. be clear. Midwest regional Emmys are being held there. So, yeah, it's a great place. And what you're saying, Cole, I mean, that's part of the pride, too, is yeah. that they have this beautiful sort of urban center. Mm. And then just within eyesight is is the prairie yeah. and their new cultural center, Hochakarati, which is is just gorgeous and, and just belongs to the community. Yeah. So we're driving around, and Rebecca <laughs> pointed out where her grandpa's house used to be where as a little kid, she spent a ton of time. Her grandfather was Norman Crooks. So, you know, I spent hours with Rebecca on a couple of different visits, and it was our my last visit, and we're sitting in the big conference room outside of her office, and the whole time there was this little photo that had been sitting there in a beaded frame, and um, I, I brought it. You can have a look and... See if you can tell who it is. It's super cute. <laughs> so cute. And I really love that frame, too. <laughs> it's like this black and white beaded frame. It's gorgeous. But yeah, little black and white picture inside. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's Norman Crooksler holding Rebecca, right? Yeah, so the legendary Crooks family. I brought this picture with me today. That's my grandfather, Norman Crooks. He was the first chairman here and was really instrumental working with another group of community members to get federal recognition for the Shakopee Midwakton Sioux community. That's me. That's you? Yes, that's Aww. me. Um, that is a traditional buckskin dress that my grandpa gave me. 
when I was little, and I actually have a picture of my daughter in that same dress when she was about the same age. I keep that picture on my desk because it really reminds me that the work we do is because of the resilience of those people. Rebecca, you know, was just so proud, mostly of what Norman Crooks and then Stanley Crooks had done for the community. Norman Crooks started off as first tribal chairman in 1969, and then you've probably heard of Stanley and Glenn Crooks. And so the Crooks family were among the leaders who guided the tribe through hard times, particularly with Scott County and Prior Lake. They helped the tribe build up its resources, diversify its economy, and become the force it is today. Awesome. Rebecca told me she was uh, a reader. She loved to read, and she still loves to read. She grew up on the reservation. She went to school in Prior Lake, except when she was, I think, a a freshman or sophomore in high school, her parents sent her off to a tiny private school in St. Louis Park called Classical Academy. Hmm. It was really different. It was tiny and experimental and innovative, and Rebecca credits it with helping her think critically and changing and just sort of changing the narrative. (laughs) (laughs) So I enjoyed my time there. I I didn't stay there because it was so small and I had, you know, my friends, my community, my family um, were all back here in Prior Lakes. Came back my senior year. Um, and was able to uh, do a work study. So I worked for the tribe my entire senior year, did a half day at school, and then... Right, so her work study was for the tribe's general council. She learned a lot there about how the tribe ran, um, the rules and regulations, the court system. She also was able to work on special projects, which really taught her a lot about the history of the tribe. I left the reservation for the first time when I was 18 to go to college at the University of Arizona. I was one of the first people in my family to um, go to college and especially go to a big university like the University of Arizona. I really enjoyed it down there. I studied political science and American Indian studies and being in the Southwest, I got a, a education myself on all the Uh, tribes and the Pueblos and all the Native communities down there. So that was a really wonderful experience. But Rebecca said it was a little hard to be away that first year, and she never once doubted she'd be coming back. Sounds right. Sounds very familiar. (laughs) It's hard to go away to college, you know? I mean, especially for you who went to Boston. Oh, it's like a whole trip to get home. Even for me, going to Minneapolis, going away from Anoka... I mean, it's not that far away, but to be in a totally different environment. And yeah, it's tough. Mm -hmm. But she buckled down and she did college. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tell from the way she did it and how her eyes were always on back home that she was a tribal leader in the making. You can also see why education would be so important to her. 
Understand Native Minnesota is definitely a passion of mine as as a mom, as somebody who grew up in the K through 12 system and wished that you know, there would have been more information about a Native perspective on history in Minnesota, on history in the United States, so that people really understand who we are and, and why we do what we do. And then to not have that information myself um, and not see myself reflected or my community reflected in my education system. And then we've got 25 years later, my children going through the same system, getting the same education that I got, which really leaves out that narrative. And I think it's, you know, doing a injustice to the entire state of Minnesota. It was fun to go to the school with her. Here and then if we go upstairs, we've got education. Hey, Nikki, how are you? It had the flavor of going to a relative's house. Because everybody seemed to know everybody, they were there were lots of highs, how are yous, everybody checking in. I think it's always fun. And then when her kids saw her, she got big hugs from both of them. Hey buddy. Hey mom. How are ya? Good. Do you have a good day? Yeah. This is Lori. Hi. She's just tagging along. Should we go find Lauren? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. And then nine-year-old Lauren showed me around. Um, the library is my favorite part about this whole place because I love to read. It's my favorite part of the day and, and my favorite part of the school. What are you reading right now? Uh, Diary of Everyone Be Kid, The Meltdown. Both my daughters are fancy shawl dancers and my son is a grass dancer um, and participate in a, a lot of community events. Um, th we're all trying to learn um, a little bit of language together. It, it's an identity piece. I think the Dakota language, it, it's so much more than just a, a way to communicate. It, it's so descriptive of places and, and people. And, you know, it, there's so much that is incorporated into it that it, it it's more than just a language, it's a culture, it's a tradition. Um, and I think you can't have a well-rounded culture without that language. So I would love to see more opportunity for not just Dakota children, but for Minnesota children to learn the language. I mean, you think about Minnesota, I ask a lot of school groups when I talk to them, you know, who in here speaks Dakota? And everyone just looks around the room and, you know, no one ever raises their hand. But then I, you know, well, what's the name of our state? Minnesota. Minnesota is a Dakota word. If you start to look around and pull out any map, the Minnehaha Falls, you've got Minnetonka, you've got Waconia. I mean, there's, there's Dakota spread all over our map. So I think people are surprised sometimes the, the amount of Dakota they do actually know. So offering Ojibwe and Dakota language classes in schools is one idea for how to remake K-12 curriculum. That's a really cool idea. I mean, why not? I mean, the language <laughs> that was spoken where you're at. I know. You know, for generations, why not? But how cool would it be for non-Native kids to enroll in it and understand more about where this state started? And then they could know, oh, what does Minnesota mean? 
<laughs> or, hey, here's how you pronounce bidet, bidet Macasca. And yeah. that something like that wouldn't be an issue going forward, right? Right, like she said. Yeah. Okay, so language classes is a good idea. Cool. But there's other ideas, and some of them are actually being piloted around the state. And Rebecca and the Project Understand Native Minnesota will be asking people who've been involved with some of those new ideas how it's going, what's mm-hmm. working, what's not working. And... One of those leaders is Ramona Kiddo Stately, and she and Rebecca were waiting in the conference room the last time I went down there. My name is Ramona Kiddo Stately, and I am Dakota. I am an enrolled member of the Santee Dakota Nation. My tribe is currently in Nebraska. We live in exile from this place. I'm an educator, K-12. It was um, not an easy thing to learn how to learn to be an expert in education because every component of that hurts children, certain children. Yeah, and her own journey, and, you know, now she has the credentials that that establish her as the leader she is. She is head of the Minnesota Indian Education Association and a longtime leader of Indian education for Osseo area schools. Mm -hmm. In Osseo, Native kids are doing better than in other parts of the state. And Ramona Kiddo Stately says that's because the district has supported ideas that celebrate Native ways. For instance, if you go to the schools in Osseo, tribal flags fly alongside national flags that welcome immigrants. Oh, cool. So it also has national flags of other countries? Yes. That are represented at the schools? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, and it says a lot about sovereignty. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, both ways. Like, immigrants are welcome, plus sovereign nations are held to the same like level as countries. We've put the sovereign flags of every nation in every single school in our district. And this simple thing with flags has kind of created a question um, of wow, what, what does that mean? What, what more do I need to know? We have this amazing program, Understand Native Minnesota, that do, isn't saying, you know, I want you to uh, fix the problem, but I want you to try all these things and then come back and let us know. We're going to highlight those successes because we don't know how it works. And that is such a Native like way of, of making a request. Like, we're not going to tell you how to do it. We want you to you know, bring it back to us. But we want to know, how is it going to work? What it, what does it look like? We don't know. And we're humble enough to say that. Yeah, that humble is a, is a big word. So it, it describes the humility, like they're not dictating things. They're asking for input and, and just working with the community, they're a partner with the community. I like that approach. We talk about balancing these two worlds, living, you know, our, our native side and living in modern times and mainstream society. And I think those don't have to be so separated. Uh, they really are intertwined. And I think if we can show that to the greater population here in Minnesota, we'll have a better understanding of how tribes fit in our local economy. Well, thanks, producer Lori Stern, for coming in and sharing this story with Rebecca. 
Very much appreciated. Sure. Maybe next season we can understand Native Minnesota even better. Ooh, yeah. I can't wait. It'll be an update. (laughs) Many thanks to Rebecca Crook Stratton. Yeah, big thanks to Rebecca Crook Stratton for bringing more insight into that new project and to her life, too. Yeah. And Ramona Keto Stately for giving us some more information there. That's really awesome. Definitely wish the best for that. So, we did get an update from the Shakopee Midwakatan Sioux community about the Understand Native Minnesota campaign. Uh, at this time uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, and they sent us this statement and it reads, like many other tribes and organizations right now, the Shakopee Midwakatan Sioux community is having to make significant adjustments to its operations during the COVID-19 public health crisis. The SMSC's commitment to this campaign and its vision to improve the Native American narrative in Minnesota schools remains, and the tribe hopes to re-engage in this work soon. Welcome back to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. So next up, I had the opportunity recently to speak with Chad German, a fellow Mille Lacs band member. Oh yeah. Who's doing big things in the ad agency world and has brought awareness to the hashtag Not Your Mascot movement, which we'll get into later. Chad German is the CEO of Red Circle, a Minneapolis-based advertising agency with over 15 years of experience working with hospitality and gaming industries. Basically, he does a lot of work with casinos. Cool. And it makes sense. He, uh, he got his start with the Grand Casino Hinkley in 1998, so he knows all the ins and outs of the casino gaming world. Nice. <laughs> so on a typical November fall day, I met up with him at Red Circle, which is located right on West Broadway Avenue, north of downtown Minneapolis. So first, to understand German and his life path, let's start with his family and his childhood. Here he is. So um, I grew up in Sandstone, Minnesota. That's where I went to school. Grindstone Lake is where my parents have a home. They still do. And I grew up spending time at my house. My grandparents uh, were a big part of my life growing up. They lived east of Hinkley, sort of about halfway between Hinkley and, and Lake Lena. My mom worked, my dad worked, so uh, they were my primary babysitters when I was a kid. So as a little one, I spent a lot of time uh, at their house, or they were at my house. I tell my wife this, and there's a difference between me and my wife, a significant difference, that um, it was a strange day if I didn't see my grandparents and my mom's parents. Uh, We were either at their house, or we were at my house and they were there, or we all met up at my cousin's house, Doug Dunkley's house. Rick Dunkley, maybe uh, you'd know him. But, um, but they were halfway between there and Hinkley, right near Brennan Field there. So my childhood was sort of surrounded by my cousins and my grandparents. And you know, I have one sister. Um, she's four years younger than me and grew up uh, there in Sandstone. So I was uh, a basketball player growing up. I went uh, to college on a basketball scholarship. So went to St. Cloud State, um, played basketball there uh, every summer. Uh, I worked as an intern with uh, the Grand Casino Inc. group. That was the management company that ran um, our casinos uh, back in the, in the 90s. And so I would uh, do internships in the summer in the marketing department. And then uh, after undergraduate school, I went to graduate school 
after graduate school, uh, came back to work at Grand Casino Hinkley as the advertising manager and then became the advertising director there. Um, worked there for about four years before jumping out to start my agency uh, in 2001. And so uh, I've done casino marketing my whole life, whether it was as an intern in college or my first job out of college, and then now with my agency doing this for 18 years. So that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Just a little description. So Go he's s- done casino marketing his whole life. Yeah. He said, yeah, that's pretty cool. It sounds like he kind of knew what he wanted to do and went for it. Yeah, basically, yeah, internship, working, and then now he's got his own his own ad agency. It's great. So as a native working um, in the casino world, he definitely knows how native-owned casinos, for lack of more complex words, can get screwed over by ad agencies, mm. which basically only want to bleed casino budgets dry. And so building this native-owned ad agencies of his is a way of giving back to the native community, which many communities benefit a lot from casinos. Here he is. You're like, this is a new industry for us, this casino stuff, right? There are plenty of casino operations that get taken advantage of by the vendors that are out there that that see us like all this cash running through these casinos, all this money being spent by this group of people that hasn't been running businesses for very long. And so the agency space, because so much of what they do is hard to measure, it's hard to measure media buying and TV creative and like what's the real value of it, that there's lots of pirates out there that are just trying to screw tribes and and I see it all day every day and I I got stories that'll make your stomach turn of of how these people trick tribes that don't know better into spending money they don't need to spend or waste money on stuff that makes the agency make money and so we very much try to be the good guys out there you know and and try to give our clients an option that's that's honest and valuable and you know we are we practice open book accounting so anything we purchase on behalf of our clients we keep the receipt and we show it to them they they know what they're paying for and at no point in time are we hiding things from them or being tricky and most agencies do that like the agency space is full of there's lots of dishonest agencies out there because i know from being on the inside sort of what bad guy behavior looks like, right? And we're trying to provide solutions that avoid those sort of dangerous characters are going to steal from you. So basically, he's being the good guy for casinos, which is uh, pretty cool when it comes to like these smaller budgeted native-owned casinos. Your mom and pop casinos. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's good. I mean, you know, every, you know, we want to make sure being treated fairly, right? Just like anything else. So moving on, this is where the conversation got just a bit awkward. I mean, I'm awkward enough as it is. No. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe it was more awkward for me than it was for Chad. Uh, For context, uh, before the interview took place, uh, we were, us producers, I remember us having a discussion of upward mobility and being native and basically this debate on if you really help the community, if you're like a well-off native person, if you're successful, stuff like that. Okay. (laughs) Um, so I wanted to know Chad's thought on being a successful native man and if he felt some emotional burden with that. I know it's a, tw- it's a tough question to ask, right? Well, it's kind of abstract, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel bad for having money? I don't know. It's, it's kind of like that, but I mean, it, yeah. 
So here he is with that. Um, I'll first include my awkward way of asking the question just for fun. So here we go. And just even, you know, like my life, you know, I grew up in nice suburbs and stuff like that. I still feel like kind of, like I got, you know, better end of the stick, you know. Without a doubt. But, you know, yeah. compared to others in the Native community, I'm just curious sure. about your thoughts on that. Yeah. Like, does that, does that set people back, you know, in their strides for success? Certainly people. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a really really deep question there. So obviously that was pretty awkward. I mean, how would how would you have gone about that? Maybe I don't know. Would you even ask that question? I don't. Know. Well, you know, um, I feel like I I don't know much, mm. <laughs> uh, but I feel like there's like a a genuine. It sounds like you're being genuine, right, yeah. in your question. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of an awkward question to ask. Mm-hmm. So why not ask it awkwardly? Sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I support you in your question. Um, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll keep going. Here he is again. I understand everything that you're saying. And without a doubt, there have been moments in my life where I bumped up against sort of the difference between my upbringing and what I run into with other band members or natives in other communities, or what the expectation is of me by, by non-natives that I bump into. And I recognize that like, oh, I'm, I'm really lucky that I had great parents and, and that I, I got, my life was steered in this direction, both by my grandparents and my parents and, and the other relatives around me. My grandmother, an amazing woman, Marion Churchill Dunkley. She married my grandfather, John Dunkley. She moved my mom and her brothers and sisters off the reservation of Lake Lena into town. Uh, they moved into Hinkley when my mom was eight years old. And my grandmother's point of view was, this is a white man's world. You need to collect up the skills that are the white man's skills so that you can compete in this world. And so we're going to live in town and we're going to go to the white kids' school and go to the white kids' church and we're going to be good students and we're going to spend our free time in the library and that's the way my mom and her brothers and sisters were raised. So her oldest brother, Dwayne, went to St. Cloud State, first Native American to, to graduate from St. Cloud State. All of her brothers and sisters went to college. All of my cousins have gone to college. And when I was a kid growing up, my grandmother, I would go over to, to her house. Um, and by then, she, they had moved halfway back to the village, right? They were, they were in Cloverdale, which is like halfway there. I would go over there, and before I could turn the TV on and watch cartoons, she'd hand me a, a, a piece of paper with 25 math, <laughs> math equations on them. And she'd be like, you can watch TV after you solve this worksheet like a handmade worksheet that she would make for me, you know, and I would have to do that before I got to watch TV and reading books and getting good grades. Like they would give us money when we would, I'd come over there. Here's my report card with A's and B's. And I would get, you know, $5 for a B and $10 for an A. And all of my cousins, all of us, you know, would go there and we would be paid for our grades. And it was, you know, again, my mom was in education. My dad was in education. And so I'm super lucky that, that my grandmother set up her family, my mom and their, their kids, or her, her brothers and sisters, and then all of us cousins were all sort of steered in that direction. You're going to go to school. 
which college are you going to when you graduate? There's not a question of if you're going, it's which one. And so all of us were very school, books, success-minded, and I walk through life and bump into situations, and I realize that I am so not like most of the other natives that I bump into. And, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm lucky. I'm super lucky. Lucky that my grandmother was like that. Lucky that my mom was like that. Lucky that all my cousins were like that. Lucky that I had all these things that helped point me in this direction. Like me, you know, dropping out of school, getting bad grades, taking drugs. Like that was just never an option. Like nobody in my family would have let that happen. My uncle would have beat the, sh you know, would have, would have taken a, he was a big, strong dude. My, or my cousins would have, or whatever, you know, or my grandfather would have, my, whatever. Just was not an option. And so, yeah, like family holding you accountable mm -hmm. uh, is a big deal, you know. It's good to have that. It's, I don't know, that f not fear, but just somebody there that if you don't do as well as you should or what you're capable of to hold you accountable and. So Chad German, as you heard, is very open about his luck. Mm -hmm. He said it many times, and he acknowledges that. And based on his upbringing, especially the work of his grandmother and the support given to him, that he's had a leg up. However, he says a big part of why he's gotten so far up in the ad agency world is this drive within him, and it's something that pushes him. Here he is again. But it was one of those things where, you know, there's lots of directors that didn't want to do their job, and if they wanted me to do their job, sure. I'll go pretend like I'm a, a director when I was just the manager and I'll speak to the whole the whole Grand Casino staff, everybody in the staff, and I'll pretend like I'm the guy in charge and that's cool by me. I'm 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 happy to do that. But I think that being a native who is sort of wired that way, you know, it was different and unusual. And it's what helped me sort of progress through my career faster than than maybe another person would. Um, and again, it all kicks back to sort of that lucky circumstance of being raised in the family that I'm raised in. So back to your original question of, you know, do I feel guilty about it? I don't, I don't feel guilty about it, um, but I do feel like a responsibility to do more, right? Like, like if, if it's difficult for other natives to step up and do more because of whatever reason, right? Social challenges, you know, whatever it is. Then I'm lucky in that I have a bunch of tools that maybe they don't have. So I feel like I should use those tools to do more, do as much as I can. So <laughs> bingo, bango. <laughs> Absolutely. So I love that he acknowledges his luck as he calls it, but he's still like, I've got this drive skills and I feel like it's my responsibility to use them to share those gifts as Absolutely. we talk about Absolutely. 100%. And you know, it's really nice when people like come to realize that for themselves. Mm. And I think it's one of those things that makes this podcast really special is like there are some people like realize it, some people don't, but it's still all something that they have in common Yeah, is, hey, you know what? I got this thing. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, it makes a net positive for everybody else. Yeah. And imagine if we all did that too. Mm. So maybe like, you know, 
bringing that kind of to the forefront of our consciousness, maybe we can all be all be a little more deliberate about it. Yeah. You know. And so a big way he shared his skills and gifts is uh, by using his ad agency knowledge to push awareness to this not your mascot movement, which Leah, as you know, is the push for the removal of the Washington NFL team's name and mascots, the Redskins. It's cringy just saying it. Mm, That's right. right. But you know, actually, the hashtag not your mascot movement was my very first um, introduction into making a radio documentary. That's right. Many years ago. You're out there with the microphone. Yeah. Getting the sound. That was 2014, and that was kind of my first little, like, I'm going to make something for radio. And I did it, and it and it aired, actually, at an awesome community radio station. Mm. And, yeah, so, you know what? Get on it. Expose <laughs> it. <laughs> so I talked to Chad German about his role in the hashtag Not Your Mascot movement, and the ads that he made in 2014 and in 2019 and how they helped push the awareness into the mainstream. I was in sports growing up and hanging out with athletes all the time. And for me, the question of, you know, like, Chad, is Redskins offensive? Are the Braves offensive? Is, you know, the Cleveland Indians, you know, logo bothersome to you? I fielded that question hundreds, if not thousands of times, right, as being the Native American that's sitting there watching sports with your buddies. I've spent so many, like, so many hours talking about it, you know, in those contexts that I had a pretty good idea of what I thought was fundamentally wrong and should be communicated. And so when that opportunity five years ago came came to us, my tribe was organizing with some other tribes in the state. We're going to put up together a rally and a march, and we're going to have this big event. And Chad, you know, um, can you come there and take pictures for us? And, and I'm like, I'll do that. And I also want to make a TV spot that I've been daydreaming about for the last 15 years. And so we did it. And lucky me, um, the event was a really big event and, you know, sparked a lot of conversation that week. So here's that ad from 2014. I am a I'm a I'm a I am a I'm a I'm a I'm a I am a redskin. So uh, listeners who can't see the video, it just basically shows uh, people of all colors saying racist names for their people, and it's bleeping out the racist names. Bleeping out all of them, except Except (laughs) for Native people. Yeah. So for some reason, it's okay to say that, but not for, not the others. Yeah. And it's... And that's help being perpetuated and normalized by keeping a football team, professional football team, as that name. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty crazy when you mm -hmm. think about it. Yeah. And I remember at the time in 2014, like that ad getting a lot of coverage in the news media. I don't know if it actually was shown on air in in local news or or local stations, but definitely the ad itself got uh, played 
and social media and things like that. So it, it made an impact back then. Sure, I bet. Let's get back to Chad German. All right. And I also had somebody on my staff who used to work at ESPN. And so he had a direct route to ESPN website where we had our story and ad placed there, which then it took off and went all over the place. USA Today, Guardian UK and Europe, you know, and like HuffPost, and all these places carried it. And then everything in town, you know, I got interviewed by all the news stations, and it was really, really cool. And it was one of those things where it's like, for 15 years, I've been wanting to have this conversation on a larger scale and, and finally get a chance to do so. So... Fast forward to, you know, this year, happening again, and we just say, all right, we're going to do a better job this time. We're going we're gonna to do it again. We're going to make a better ad that's, I think, a little bit easier to consume, but it's also right straight to the point. And we've done that. Thankfully, my tribe here, or our tribe here in, in Minnesota, was able to, to set aside some of their TV spots so we could run it. Uh, which is really fun. And now I've been talking to other tribes around the country about letting us replace their casino TV ads during that week with this TV spot. And we have one tribe in Michigan that's doing it, uh, and hopefully we can get some others. And, you know, next year, we'll, let's try again next year, you know. As, as long as we can get people to, to stand with us, I think uh, it'd be really fun to just keep bothering uh, Dan Snyder with this issue. I, I'm not the person who writes most of the TV spots that we produce for our clients. I mean, we have a team of people that, that does that, and, and I very much participate in that. And I'll say I've written some of the TV spots that we've produced for, the, for our casino clients, but almost all of it is not written by me. Uh, but in these, these two TV spots, I wrote these because it's the conversation with myself in my head that I've been having for, for so many years that it's just really easy for that stuff to come out. And so I remember the, this, this TV spot of this year, I kid you not, I was in the shower and I was thinking about, you know, we got to write this spot. And the idea came to me and I put it on a whiteboard and the team talks about it and it changed a little bit, but was largely just sort of the lightning bolt in a shower uh, kind of situation where I just thought, let's put the question in the mouth of a of a small child, and let's let it shock us, you know, with with what it what it says, and then using Alexa and or using you know a digital assistant um, as sort of the authority is a great way to sort of get to the truth of what that word means. And here's that last ad from 2019. So the mouse and the cat cooperated. Assistant, what does cooperate mean? Cooperate, to team up. Okay, merge. What does merge mean? Merge, slang, bet on it. Going to the Redskins game. Assistant, what's a Redskin? Redskin, the scalped head of a Native American, collected by government bounty hunters and sold for $50 cash. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> pretty dramatic, pretty well, impactful. Yeah. yeah, like the Alexa, right? That's what that is. Yeah. The Alexa is just like matter of fact. You know, yeah. that's what's so that that's what's so jarring about it. Mm-hmm. It's just like you know, it's not doesn't have a bias. It's just sort of like stating facts. Yeah. And it shows like the little girl like not understanding what it is and obviously when she learns a definition i mean it's very shocking but 
It also shows her brother or whoever's going to the Redskins game who's just like... So the brother just kind of casually says the Redskins name. Yeah, the, it shows the dichotomy between the the guy going to the, the game and he doesn't really think about the team name or, you know, whatever, and then it shows the shock of the girl learning the, the definition of the word. So I think it's pretty impactful. Yeah, and she's like, wait, my brother's going to that game? <laughs> <laughs> and so here's what Chad German had to say about it. Um, yeah, it was really fun. It's really fun when you get to take a, a sort of a, a gnarly problem like how do we how do we make this make sense to people who don't think about it? Um, getting to solve that is really the that's the fun stuff we get to do over there. Yeah, so, it is kind of fun to uh, help dismantle the machine of the oppressor, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> what we're doing little by little. That's right, cog Rage, by cog, raging against the machine. That's right. <laughs> Um, so looking on, the future looks bright for Chad German. Uh, he recently bought a new building for Red Circle, north of downtown Minneapolis, which is being renovated. And it was actually renovated during our interview. <laughs> so there was some parts where the crews were walking through and things like that, and we're talking in a very wide open spot. So it was kind of echoey, but whatever. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so anyways, he's very excited about this newly created program for Red Circle that'll help smaller casinos be more efficient. He's also planning on being involved in a business education conference, helping Native youth uh, develop skills in the ad world. And I think, like, right before we had an interview, he, like, went up north and helped kids, like, work on a creative video design and things like that. So he's definitely in that world. And and as we close out the feature of uh, Chad German, uh, near the end of the interview, I wanted to ask him his parting thoughts and maybe if he'd give some advice for those Native youth looking to get into the ad agency world. so I, I've been lucky all of my life because of all the things that we've been talking about, right? I had great parents, really good upbringing. My family around me was strong. My, my extended family and friends, super supportive. The idea that I'm in this spot right now is a percentage of it is me and the fact that I work hard and a big percentage, like more, more than that is, you know, like I have a family that set me up to, to go down this path. But we work in this space where if you're a Native American and you show up for work and you work hard and you stand, you know, you're, you're honest and truthful and you're a, you're a good employee, like there is a lot of opportunity out there because this gaming industry that, that Native Americans own, right? It's like a $27 billion industry. There's all of these jobs inside the casinos. There's all these jobs in the companies like mine that sell into these casinos, where if you're a Native American person, you have an advantage, right? You just have to choose to grab that advantage and do something with it. And I would say that, you know, I tell this to my children and to other young Natives I run into, that. Like, there's a lot of opportunity in front of you. You just have to position yourself, you know, to, to be there and catch it when, it when it comes your way. And if you're in the right spot, you can catch good stuff. Like, my job is a good job. I like what I get to do. It's, it's fun, and it pays well, and I go to sleep every night proud of the work I do, right, on behalf of the tribes that we're doing good work for them. I just think that... It, you know, if you're a young native wondering what you want to be in life, 
man, you got a lot of advantages right now. Now is a really good time to be a young native that's that's trying to figure out what they want to do. Right on, Chad. That's awesome. It's <laughs> a good Bring time. It to the youth. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I love how he talks about he can sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a perfect litmus test to see if you're kind of doing the right stuff. It's like, can, do you have a clear conscience about what you're doing? Yeah. You know, and that's really cool that he's, once again, able to use his gifts to help his community. Simple as that. Yeah, and I really appreciated talking to him, and uh, hopefully the construction renovations go well for him. So uh, thanks to Chad German for chatting with me. And thanks to Rebecca Crook-Stratton for sharing her story, too. I totally can't wait to see what happens with Understand Native Minnesota. Well... It's that time to say our gigawabamins. Is it? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Miigwech for joining us on Native Lights. On the next episode of Native Lights, we talk to the people behind a shelter for Native youth. We're going to speak with the visionaries who thought up and then designed Minooshki Indayong. You can't miss it on University Avenue in St. Paul. We want to thank our engineer, Justice Sanchez, our project manager, Aaron Warhol, Producers Melissa Townsend and Lori Stern. Music by Cole Primo. Native Lights Podcast, where Indigenous voices shine, is a production of Minnesota Native News and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Native Lights Podcast is made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the citizens of Minnesota. If you'd like to help us spread the word about Native Lights, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, and every major listening app, as well as minnesotanativenews.org.